What is up, guys? This is Stan R. Mitchell, and this is the August 5th edition of The View from the Front. Uh, for those who don't know, my name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior infantry Marine who loves talking about military matters. Every Tuesday and Friday, we talk about military and defense news, as well as some history, motivation, and wisdom. And I do all of this from a moderate perspective. The Tuesday posts are available to everyone, but they're delayed a day unless you're a paid subscriber. That's just something that's hopefully an incentive for you to help join us while doing what we're doing here, if you can. And if you can, at most, you're just waiting an extra day. It is uh, just $5 a month to subscribe, but no pressure. We're glad you're here either way. We've got quite a bit we're going to get to today, including um, a fair amount about China, a little bit about Russia, and then some tech news and maybe a little bit of something else if we get time. Let's see what we can do. But first, we start with China. We all know, as I uh, talked about in the last episode on Tuesday, that Speaker Pelosi was planning to visit. She did end up visiting. Um, of course, as everyone knows, World War III has not started, nothing like that. So that's the good news. Um, I thought I'd start by, I wanted to read part of uh, Speaker Pelosi's statement that she issued um, after the visit, and, um, and then we'll take it from there with some uh, a little bit more in-depth stuff. So this here is part of Speaker Pelosi's statement, and I quote, Our congressional delegation's visit to Taiwan honors America's unwavering commitment to supporting Taiwan's vibrant democracy. Our visit is part of our broader trip to the Indo-Pacific, including Singapore, Malaysia, South Korea, and Japan, focused on mutual security, economic partnership, and democratic governance. Our discussions with Taiwan leadership will focus on reaffirming our support for our partner and on promoting our shared interests, including advancing a free and open Indo-Pacific region. America's solidarity with the 23 million people of Taiwan is more important today than ever as the world faces a choice between autocracy and democracy. Finally, she concludes by saying, our visit is one of several congressional delegations to Taiwan and it in and it in no way con contradicts longstanding United States policy. And then she mentions several different uh, previous parts of policy. And she ends by saying the United States continues to oppose unilateral efforts to change the status quo. So that was her statement. I will leave you all to um, formulate whatever thoughts you have about it. Um, it is important to note that she did go with um, several other members of Congress, including some powerful ones. Of course, all the news was about her visiting since she was the first since 1997 when uh, uh, former Speaker uh, Gingrich went. But um, she got all the news, but it was quite a few. And it's also worth noting that a lot of Republican senators wanted her to go. And so um, it's definitely I think it's obvious that there's strong bipartisan support in uh, America in both of America's political parties that um, there's a lot of support for Taiwan. And so this isn't just a Speaker Pelosi thing. And I know everyone has various views on, on her, as we do have many leaders on both sides of the parties. But this is a, um, a very, in my opinion, united um, kind of signal to China. And um, I'm sure that uh, China is, is reading it loud and clear. Following her departure, The Economist had an article uh, that was headlined, Nancy Pelosi has left Taiwan. The real crisis may be just beginning. And in it, uh, it talked about what I'm sure everyone's heard about in the news, that since her departure, uh, China has uh, started some military exercises 
that are expected to last for four days. Um, it also mentions in the article that um, China is starting to consider um, something they've said publicly in the in the past few months that the Taiwan Strait is not an international waterway. So there's a chance that um, Ta- or a chance that China will begin to start saying that's not an international waterway. Of course, the United States and other um, nations regularly sends ships through that uh, waterway just as a reminder to China that they don't control it. Um, and then it also mentions the uh, kind of weird policy that America currently has where um, America accepts that there is only one China without spelling out what that means in practice. Uh, it has no formal diplomatic links with Taiwan, although it maintains close relations under other labels. And of course, the craziness of all this is that we obviously have weapons deals with Taiwan, um, but China has uh, exerted a lot of uh, diplomatic pressure to keep countries from recognizing the independence of Taiwan. And Taiwan is always very careful to um, state too strongly that it's independent because they don't want to bring the wrath of China down on it. So it's kind of a weird situation there. A couple other things to share. The Washington Post had a story that was published after her departure in which um, I just wanted to quote one part from the spokesperson uh, for the White House, uh, and I'll just read it. Uh, Quote, we made clear once again, and I should say they summoned the ambassador to China, but here's the quote. We made clear once again, as we have done privately at the highest levels and publicly, nothing has changed about our one China policy. We also made clear that the United States is prepared for what Beijing chooses to do. We will not seek and do not want a crisis. At the same time, we will not be deterred from operating in the seas and skies of the Western Pacific, consistent with international law as we have for decades, supporting Taiwan and defending a free and open Indo-Pacific. So there is their uh, very carefully crafted statement, which as a writer, I appreciate. They have perfectly stated uh, in, in perfect language, what their position is. It's just we all know that sometimes the words on the paper mean what they mean, and sometimes they don't. And that always is what leads to the confusion. Before we move into the next part about China, I should have said I've got links to the source notes um, that you can find. So anything that I quote, there's a link to it. All of it's um, easily fact checked. And I, I put those links there so that you can fact check it because uh, I want to be as accountable and accurate to you guys as I possibly can be. So since her departure, we mentioned the war games, and I wanted to dig into that just a little bit. I wanted to start with Mick Ryan. He's a retired major general in the Australian Army. He's also a graduate of the Johns Hopkins Advanced International Studies School, um, a big following in the national um, security community, uh, been quoted in The Economist and major um, papers across across the world. Um, He had a great thread on Twitter that I wanted to share just two or three small points from. General Ryan began by sharing a graphic that showed that the last time things got really testy, and this was back in the mid-90s, he's got a chart that shows um, where the Chinese military placed its ships and and kind of what it did. And you'll see they're a fair distance away from Taiwan. And since uh, Speaker Pelosi has left, 
they announced, they being China, that they would have six areas that would be closed to uh, airspace, sea travel, etc., because they're doing live fires. And if you look on there, the six areas are almost like a perfect blockade of Taiwan. Um, and he not only shows a graph, which you can find in the source notes, he talks about a few things from what's going to happen or what's really happening right now. Um, in one of the tweets, he says, uh, first, the coming days will permit us to observe how China and their army is thinking about conducting a naval blockade of Taiwan. In essence, they are telegraphing their operational approach so we can war games ways to subvert it in a future in the future. So obviously the allies, I probably shouldn't call them the allies, but uh, those who are opposed to what China is doing um, are studying what the Chinese are doing. And it's also a chance for China to do its own drills. Um, he talks about that some in his thread that the Chinese army will use the opportunity to um, work on their communication between the Navy and the uh, Air Force. And obviously they fired some ballistic missiles. Um, but he said that this was a priceless or is a priceless opportunity to learn about the Chinese joint military capability in real time and to assess its strength and weaknesses. The Taiwanese, Americans, Japanese, Australians, and others will be watching this closely. So I thought that was a great thread and something that we we don't even realize half the time what our military and intelligence services are doing, but that's probably what they're doing in part, at least in the Pacific, as we speak. While we are discussing capabilities, uh, the Economist uh, mentioned in its article um, Three different or a couple of different things that um, talked about the potential invasion and war games that have played out in the past, and it talks it, they um, they talked about or quoted a um, a study from May from the Center for New American Security, which is a think tank in Washington, and in this war game that it was played out, um, they found that after a week of fighting, China was able to land troops on the island, but could not. Um, basically climb the mountains and the terrain that's rough around the capital and that they could not achieve a quick victory. And they had set this conflict uh, for 2027, which is obviously five years from now. And um, so that's even given the Chinese five more years of building up and that any invasion would settle into a protracted war. So that was one war game. Um, they then talked about another study, which was uh, put together by a couple of Taiwanese uh, analysts, and they noted that China could move hundreds of thousands of troops um, to Taiwan, but it would take an unbelievable amount of um, of material, of, of uh, rockets, etc., and even oil, and in fact, it would take five million tons of oil, and that they burn through half a million kilograms of fuel a day, and that currently China could not support such a large amphibious invasion but they do note in the study that China is obviously improving in all these areas and that they can assemble an invasion force faster now than they could in the past, which would shrink the time that Taiwan has to, you know, uh, call up its reserves and its forces if such a thing were to happen. So that's um, kind of where things are on the strategic level. If China were to try to do this, um, I, th I think. I, I think before they would invade, I think it'd be more likely that they would do some type of uh, a, um, I guess, an embargo or a uh, blockade. 
Um, I think that could get kind of nasty if they did something like that, because at that point it becomes a matter of does Taiwan respond or does the West led by the U.S. do something? Um, but no matter what they do, these these things aren't going to help China. Um, there was an article a couple of weeks ago where Airbnb has finally given up on trying to operate in China. And in that article, there are a number of companies that have left China, including uh, LinkedIn. Uh, Kindle is no longer offered there, the ebook service. Um, and then there's a, just a list of companies like Facebook, Twitter, and other large companies that have left or are considering leaving. And so all of these uh, actions by China with um, their human rights abuses, their threats to Taiwan, this is already going to start throttling down on their on their economy. So they're not going to come out looking good on this, and they're, they're going to have to decide if if invading or doing something to Taiwan is, or what they call reunifying is so important that they're willing to literally um, nosedive their economy or if they're going to finally start um, working on their human rights and acting like a more mature, you know, large nation should act. All right, we've talked enough about China. Let's move to Russia. There were three things that I wanted to discuss regarding um, Russia and its invasion of uh, Ukraine. The first thing was I wanted to talk about, I mentioned in the previous podcast about a um, a prison where Ukrainian soldiers were um, being held and how the Russians claimed Ukraine struck it. I confidently stated at the time using only uh, mostly analysis from Twitter that I thought that was a inaccurate statement to say the least. Really, it's more a lie, I guess. Let's just be honest. Um, and as I uh, stated then, all of that starting to come to fruition. A uh, the Institute for the Study of War released a a uh, a, a report that states that um, Russia likely set fire to the prison. Um, it talks about the video and. Um, uh, photographic evidence that um, the walls of the building were burned but still standing. There were no shell craters or other indicators consistent with an artillery strike. Um, and then it goes into a lot of the um, details about that. The Washington Post also had a story um, uh, expressing great skepticism. So I think it's going to take a little bit more time to absolutely nail it down as far as exactly what happened. But um, the Russians have been uh, very sloppy at their um, attempts to basically spread propaganda. So they're not even good at doing it. And um, I think that um, their slip-ups on this will come out as it's already starting to come out. While we are talking about the brutality of the Russians, uh, Patrick Fox, who's a, uh, who served in the Air Force as a foreign policy uh, analyst, he had a Twitter thread that reminded us that as we, you know, see the images of the Russian soldier who literally castrated a, a Ukrainian prisoner who was, you know, hands behind his back, tied up. As you see this, um, these prisoners who were killed in this firebombing, as you see the unbelievable number of stories of rape of uh, Ukrainian women, as you hear about the million plus who have been shipped to Russia from Ukraine forcibly against their will on trains, that eventually, even though Ukraine has a disciplined army, 
um, that at some point this discipline of the Ukrainian soldiers is going to break. And he goes into the historical um, background of how in World War II, there were parts of the U.S. Army who would not take uh, Waffen-SS um, German troops prisoner. Those were the ones who were mostly uh, in charge of, of rounding up folks for the concentration camps and guarding them. Um, so he goes into the story of how some American soldiers would not take those uh, gentlemen, it's probably the wrong term, gentlemen, but would not take those soldiers as prisoners, um, and they were um, not charged for that. And he also goes into how in the Pacific Theater, after the Japanese had done several things to U.S. troops, such as the the uh, Bat Batan Death March and a few other things, that um, U.S. troops were a little reluctant to take prisoners on some of the islands. And so his point in making that is that um, at some point, um, I don't want to say human nature, but I don't know the right term, but at some point discipline can break down and he's already predicting that that discipline could break down. And when it does, the West will make an absolute media circus out of this, which might be part of the Russians' plans. He doesn't mention that, but it's going to be a media circus. And we need to remember that Ukraine was invaded and that all these horrific things have been happening to them or are currently happening to them. And so when they do slip up, if they slip up, we need to at least be aware of what caused that and probably show a little bit of patience. Um, but uh, at any rate, um, that was a great thread. I did want to share that. And the final thing I wanted to talk about in regards to Russia is that the U.S. Senate voted 95 to 1 to ratify admission of uh, Finland and Sweden into NATO. So um, uh, Stephen uh, Pfeiffer, and I, I apologize if I mispronounced his name there, but um, he put up a graphic that shows um, what NATO will currently looks like and what it will look like if uh, Sweden and Finland are finally approved, which they're heading that way. There's uh, seven more countries that have to approve it. Turkey is the only one that some folks are worried about, but uh, I haven't heard much. Uh, I think Turkey's a yes, so hopefully that still goes through. If you're looking for a map of what NATO looks like and a, a reminder on your geography of where Russia is compared to Ukraine, Finland, Sweden, etc., if you're anything like most Americans, your geography is probably not super strong. There's a great map of that in the source notes that uh, you can go look at right now. And there is one final thing I wanted to squeeze in on Russia. I think I said that I was going to do three things. Ends up, I guess there's four. So who knows? Who would have guessed? Marines can't count. So apologies on that. Um, but I did want to mention that The Economist reported that uh, Russia has um, moved reinforcements toward Kherson. We've talked about that a lot in previous uh, podcasts. But apparently Russia has moved 10 of its... Uh, battalion-sized tactical groups there to reinforce the area, which basically doubled its number of troops there. So I still think an offensive is going to happen in Kherson. I certainly hope it happens. and um, But it looks like the Russians are uh, going to do everything they can to be ready for this. Moving from Russia, I wanted to mention one thing about U.S. forces in Africa. Uh, I was a little surprised to see how many we actually have there in a completely unrelated fact of an article about the uh, potential promotion of a general in the Marine Corps buried in that article um, in the Washington Post, which I have a link to, um, 
it talks about that uh, there are actually about 6,000 U.S. troops in Africa right now, and they mostly engage in training and have, uh, trying to build up African militaries and their capabilities. Um, so a little surprised to see that we had that many there. We've talked about in previous podcasts that we're sending some troops to Somalia, but 6,000 in Africa is a little more than I thought was there. Maybe a lot more, actually. I probably would have guessed two or 3,000, but we got 6,000 there. And uh, I wanted to make sure I mentioned that. Okay, so we've covered a fair amount of news. And I wanted to actually, I've been trying to get some tech news in last few editions and just haven't had time. So there were about four different tech news items that I've got sources uh, linked to in the source notes that I wanted to quickly cover. Uh, the first one was the UK says that, um, you know, we've talked some about swarm um, attacks from drones. Um the UK, uh, the head of the Royal Air Force, actually says that the UK has swarm um, swarm drones that are basically um, relevant. They'd be operationally useful and that they're actually at this time currently ready to go if it proved necessary in war. So there's been talk about these ideas of swarm attacks where... You have lots of uh, drones or flying munitions coming down, which are almost impossible to stop. Um, according to the head of the Royal Air Force, the UK is ready with that. And that tells me if they're ready, I would dare say the US is ready. But So we've talked about drone swarms, and apparently those are a thing, and they're real, and they're ready to go. The second tech news thing I wanted to talk about was um, in defense news. And um, it's talking about the ways to defend against drone warfare and especially swarm swarm attacks. And one of the things being researched is a like a directed energy type of uh, way to to defend against them. And the other way is through electronic warfare. And then, of course, there's just the typical conventional way, which is discussed in the first uh, link that I talked about from the Royal Air Force, which is that if you have a sophisticated Air, def air defense network and or, you know, air-to-air -air defenses, you can keep these swarms far enough away that they don't basically overwhelm your ability to shoot them down. So um, wanted to mention those two things for sure. The third bit of tech news com uh, comes from the U.S. Naval Institute, and um, there's an article in it that says there are, uh, the Navy's currently working on several um, unarmed or unmanned aerial vehicles. Um, to basically extend the range of the attack craft that can be flown from a carrier. Um, there's in uh, air periodicals for years now, there's been a lot of talk that if you could ever remove the human element to a plane, you could put a lot more fuel. There's a lot of survival stuff from ejection seats to et cetera that are required for humans. But if you could find a way to get humans out of them, planes could do a lot more, including you know everything from tighter turns to longer distance. And in the article, it talks about that, um, I'll just quote one small part, um, as we go to the air wing of the future, we will be operating at ranges off of the aircraft carrier that vastly exceed what we're doing today. Um, and they're talking about why they want unmanned aircraft. And one other point from that article, um, currently the F-35 Lightning Joint Strike Fighter can do an effective combat range of about 700 nautical miles from the carrier. And um, before that, it was F-A-18s. Those apparently had an even shorter distance. But what the Navy's aiming for is they want 
unmanned um, aircraft to be able to operate at more than a thousand miles from the carrier. And the idea would be that would keep them out of range of Chinese uh, anti-ship ballistic missiles. And it names several prototype or pro several current use and prototypes in it. Um, so the idea is that we want something that can hit them from further away from what they can hit us. So the Navy's working on that, and that's what's said publicly. I'm sure there's probably something we're we're not even aware of. And the final tech news thing is I linked to another story about uncrewed surface vessels in the Navy. Um, the Navy continues to try to make progress on um, vessels that have smaller crews or no crews at all. Um, for lots of reasons, there's advantages to not having to have all the things necessary that you have to have when you have humans on board, from food to facilities to places to sleep, etc. Um, and the Navy is not messing around on what they are uh, have or have done and are doing in that um, in that spectrum, I guess. Just seeing this article reminded me that I had written about this in the past, so I had to look it up. But uh, I've got a link to it. But way back in, I believe it was February of this year, six months ago. I did an article um, or a link to an article from Defense News, actually, that uh, I highlighted some of the accomplishments the Navy had already had with autonomous transits. Um, they've had some of 5,000 miles autonomous, you know, completely all, all, all radar, sensor-based ships, non-human. And they've even had a unmanned ship cross the uh, Panama Canal, which is obviously huge. Um, so that was six months ago. I'm sure they've done stuff since then. I'm sure the programs are even further along. And so um, the future is here, so to speak, when we think about things even 10 or 15 years ago. We talked about robots and drones and what would the future be like. Well, it's increasingly quickly um, arriving. So I wanted to hit those uh, tech news items since we haven't had a chance to get them in lately. And I uh, hope you enjoyed learning about that as much as I did. All right, so let's get to the uh, last and best part of every edition. Um, everyone knows that's listened for a while anyway that I like to end with some motivation and wisdom. And I thought I'd start with one positive story because I like to find those when I can. And I've got a link to a CNN article of a company that is um, recycling plastic and creating concrete blocks out of them except they're plastic. So they're apparently as hard and as strong as uh, concrete blocks it's a lot cheaper and obviously there's tons of plastic out there and then one of the advantages is there are like seven types of plastic only like two of them are worth recycling but these blocks could use all seven types of plastic so there's a little two three minute clip that i've got linked to if you want to read about that um or hear about it that was kind of really awesome news because we all know there's way too much plastic and we cannot for the life of us seem to get off of plastic. So that would be really cool if we could actually use them in construction as this company is trying to do. Moving away from that news story, here's some you know motivation and wisdom. Um, and I thought, I, I thought I'd start with a few serious ones. And this time I'm going to not list where every one of them from is from. You can find them on my website in the source notes, and this will save some time reading them. Um, so here's the first quote. Um, I saw that you were perfect, and so I loved you. Then I saw that you were not perfect, and I loved you even more. And that's a quote from uh, Angelita uh, Lim. Um, pretty deep quote. So I like that one. I wanted to share it. Another quote. Some of life's best lessons 
are learned at the worst times. That is a, a deep one and one that's hard to uh, get your arms around. But if you're going through a rough time right now, you know, there might be a lesson in it. And there might not. Sometimes we just got to persevere. Um, another one um, I wanted to share is in regards to mindfulness. If you don't know what mindfulness is, that's just like living in the moment. Um, but the quote is, patience deepens practice and then practice deepens patience. So if you're being mindful, if you are patient, that will help you as you practice being mindful. And as you practice being mindful, that will help you be more patient. And I don't know anyone who doesn't need to be more patient or mindful. So I thought that was a great quote. Um, moving from there, um, let's keep moving. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. How about that one? That's a good one. Um, another one. Train your mind to be stronger than your feelings. Train your mind to be stronger than your feelings. Boy, is that a good one or what? Um, start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. Man, another good one. Here's another. An unproductive minute can turn into an unproductive hour. An unproductive hour can turn into an unproductive day. So always be aware of your actions and do what you actually have to do. Wow. Another. If you don't love it, you'll never be great at it. Do what you love. Be devoted to your craft. Show up and do the work one day at a time. Another good one. Okay, here we go. Find out who you are and be that person. That's what your soul was put on this earth to be. Find that truth, live that truth, and everything else will come. Here's another one. Why put off until tomorrow what you can do today? What you can do today, why not do it now? Later is the enemy of success. And then just a few more. Before you can succeed, you have to believe you can succeed. Wow, that's another good one. Here's another one. Guard your big goals from small thinkers. And then, <laughs> I think this, yeah, this is the last one. It's a slow process, but quitting won't speed it up. So there you go. There are your quotes for the day. I hope uh, my listeners out there have some kind of dream you're working toward um, or something that's maybe starting to keep you up a little bit at night. I think we all have those little things that scare us or kind of we want to do or maybe we should do so if you have that i hope some of those kind of kicked your butt a little bit and um, push you toward that goal so that's it for this edition as a reminder please be kind try your best to love your fellow americans we have to pull this country together we have to stop hating those on the other side of the aisle we have to stop rewarding the loudest and most angry voices on either side um, please try to you know as a country i think we need compromise we need to have respect for the other side and I, I think we need a more serious gravity and weight to our politics. So please try to be a better person yourself each and every day. Let's all try to impact others. If you haven't already, sign up for free ep free episodes. Um, like I said, they're free. At most, on a Tuesday, you won't get the Wednesday edition for just 24 hours. So if you're not signed up for free, please join us. And if you love what we're doing, you throw a couple bucks in the hat by subscribing. I would absolutely appreciate that. We'll eventually have some uh, paid-only episodes, but I'm still working to make all that happen. And I do have a full-time job, so I'm doing the best I can, but I love doing this, guys. I really appreciate every single one of you that join us. I appreciate every email, every tweet, every share, 
everything that you guys are doing. You're all freaking awesome. And uh, I love you guys. So everyone have a great weekend. We will see you guys on Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on which level you're signed up for. Thanks a lot, guys.